We're continuing our Fulfilled series, our Advent series, where we're unpacking these themes of Advent, hope, love, joy, and peace, and using the book of Isaiah as a way of tapping into some of the prophecies about who Jesus was going to be and what Jesus was going to come and do, and uh, how we can learn from those things as we get ourselves ready for Christmas. And so we've talked about how the book of Isaiah is this amazing book that walks through uh, an understanding of what God is like. And specifically within that, an understanding of what God's hopes and dreams are, not just for his people, but for the whole world as well. And so far we've looked at the theme of hope. And so we've talked about how Isaiah prophesied that at some time, the right time, this person was going to arrive who was going to be the saviour who was going to be the rescuer, the one who was going to come and set things right once and for all. And so that generated this sense of hope in what God was going to do. Last week we talked about the theme of love. And so we talked about how at the centre of who God is and the centre of everything that God's always been about and everything that God is doing is unfailing love. Love that never fails and that never gives up no matter what is going on. Today we're going to unpack the theme of joy and then we're going to look at the theme of peace next week before we wrap things up on Christmas Day. We've already mentioned that Isaiah can be a little bit of a confusing book in some ways because depending on which chapter you find yourself in, there can be some things that are fairly confronting as we look at some of the things that Isaiah says. In particular, Isaiah can come across at times as a prophet of doom and gloom talks a lot about destruction, he talks about the overthrowing of nations, he talks very, very clearly about God's judgment and about God's justice coming in very significant ways. But all of this is to simply help us understand that God doesn't just sit back and ignore things when we choose to live with pride and selfishness at the core of who we are. And whether that's us as individuals or whether that's us collectively, God says, no, that's not okay for us to live that way. He doesn't just say, oh, well, what are you going to do? Or sit back and scratch his head trying to work out a plan. He says, no. I created you to live a certain way, which is with others-centered love at the core of who you are. And so any time that you allow pride and selfishness to dictate the way in which you live your life, there's something wrong there and something needs to happen. So when we read about that judgment coming, it can seem very, very confronting. But we can also, depending on which chapter we're in, recognise that Isaiah is very much, even in the midst of all of those difficult things, a prophet of hope. Yes, God's judgment comes inevitably, but it's always followed in Isaiah. Every single time that there's a judgment, it's followed very, very quickly with a sense of God's grace, a sense of God's generosity, a sense of hope about what God is going to do. What can seem like really, really harsh judgments are always followed by these glorious declarations of this is what God is trying to accomplish. This is ultimately the way that things are supposed to be in a helpful and healthy way. And so today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 35, and it's a great example of that. If you turn the page back and have a look at Isaiah chapter 34, you'll see that there's some pretty stark stuff that Isaiah is saying there. But as soon as we turn into this and say God's not okay with pride and selfishness, but recognize what God's heart is, we see all of these incredible transformations that God is going to bring about through the person of Jesus. And so as we look at each of these transformations, we can see this growing sense of joy that wells up 
as we look at what God is going to do, what God's hopes are, and what's, what God's plans are for us as humanity. So we begin in Isaiah 35, verse 1, where Isaiah talks about the transformation from deserts to oases. He says, The desert will rejoice and flowers will bloom in the wastelands. The desert will sing and shout for joy. It will be as beautiful as the Lebanon mountains and as fertile as the fields of Carmel and Sharon. Everyone will see the Lord's splendor, see his greatness and his power. And so Isaiah begins by talking about the desert, which is something that's very, very familiar to the Israelites, something that they understand. And probably what he's picturing is this place that's called Death Valley, which sounds like a really great place to go and visit, doesn't it? Death Valley. So it's this place called Arabah, and we've actually got a picture of it. So on the right, uh, your left over there, that's Arabah. That's what it looks like. And so when Isaiah talks about the deserts and the wastelands, they absolutely know that's what he's referring to. But Isaiah says when Jesus comes, transformation is going to happen where desert wastelands are going to be turned into these amazing fertile places. And he talks about the Lebanon mountains and the fields of Carmel and Sharon. And so the picture that's on your right there is the Lebanon mountains. And so it's these beautiful, amazing mountains that are filled with these huge trees and these massive forests. And so Isaiah says, God is going to bring about the transformation from places that are desert, that are dead, where there's nothing there, to these places where huge forests are going to grow. The fields of Carmel and Sharon, these places where there's flowers and where there's fruit and where there's flourishing that's happening all around the place. He says that's the transformation that's coming. And so he begins by talking about the environment in which people exist. And we know that our environment does have a huge impact on our sense of joy. For us, through this last week, we've experienced another little bit of a taste of winter. And we know what it's like through winter when everything's grey and everything's cold and windy. It just kind of starts to weigh you down. And I've talked before about what it was like for us when we lived in North America and we've endured these crazy winters where everything dies off and everything is grey and everything's desolate and it just goes on for weeks and weeks and months and months. And in North America, there's a thing called seasonal affective disorder, which if you take the first three letters of that, it's what? Sad. So, and this is a very, very real thing, that in North America, people genuinely struggle as the winter rolls on with the way in which the season affects them because it's so weighed down, so oppressive that it really starts to get the better of you. However, when the sun inevitably starts to come out, that first day where it hits 12 degrees and it's gloriously warm and you get your t-shirt out and the sun is out and you just feel this sense of, oh, finally. And we know what that's like as well, that even in the middle of winter when there's a sunny day and the wind dies down and it's not raining, you just start to feel better about life. And then as the spring kicks in and the flowers start to bloom and green starts to appear back on the trees, there's something that shifts inside of us. We know what that's like. Now blow that out by about a hundred times as you think about the transformation from deserts, these places that are completely desolate, to these amazing, fertile, green places. Isaiah says, joy is coming as the transformation happens of deserts into oases. He then continues in verse 3 as he talks about the transformation from weakness to strength. 
He says, give strength to hands that are tired and to knees that tremble with weakness. And so all of us know what that feels like to have tired hands. I'm sad to say that uh, I'm starting to get older. And so when I do some gardening around the place or when I do some work around the house, which could also be a sign of me not doing enough of it, but when I do those things, the next day my hands just don't feel like they work the same way. I try to open a jar or something and I can't do it, or I try to do something with kind of fine motor skills and it's really, really hard. I also know that if I do lots of gardening and lots of squatting down or kneeling down, my knees start to feel all weak and all trembly and I can't stand up properly. I'm like, what is happening here? And I know for some of you, you experience that on a much greater level than what I'm experiencing it at this stage. That as you wrestle with arthritis or injuries or just the realities of getting older, these are things that we know affect us. That when our hands are tired and our knees are shaking, It affects everything about how we feel. And so Isaiah begins to change this uh, focus from transformation that happens externally to transformation that happens internally. Give strength to hands that are tired. Give strength to weak, trembling knees. And all of us, even those of us who really struggle with this stuff, know that we have those days where we just feel a little bit stronger. Those days where we just can do a little bit more than we were able to do the day before or the week before. And what happens when we feel that? A sense of joy starts to kick in as we experience the strength that we know that we're supposed to have. Isaiah says, joy is coming through the transformation of weakness to strength. And then he continues as he talks about the transformation of people who are hurting to people who are healed. In verse 4, he says, Tell everyone who's discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue, coming to punish your enemies. The blind will be able to see and the deaf will hear. The lame will leap and dance and those who cannot speak will shout for joy. And so here Isaiah really does tap in again to this prophecy about this person who's going to come and set things right, Jesus. We recognize that Jesus is the one who is coming to our rescue. Jesus is the saviour, the rescuer who's going to come. Now, we have this line here, he's coming to punish your enemies, which probably doesn't fit with some of our theology. A probably more helpful way of understanding what that looks like is simply that this person is coming to set things right, that it's not okay for things to not be experienced the way that we're supposed to, and so this rescuer is coming to fix things and to put them the way that they're supposed to be. And when this rescuer comes, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap and dance, and those who can't speak will shout. Again, all of these prophecies about what Jesus is going to come and do. And we know that throughout Jesus' life, he does heal all of these people in these specific ways. And so we tap into the sense of joy, of what happens for someone who's blind to suddenly be able to see. Imagine how that would feel. For someone who's deaf to be able to hear. And I'm sure all of us at different times have seen those news reports where we have especially little kids who get hearing aids for the first time or who get technology that gets attached to their heads so that they can finally pick up on what people are saying. And in particular, those moments where they can hear their parents' voice for the first time, where they can hear their parents say, I love you for the first time. A sense of joy that kicks in as those who are deaf can hear. People who are lame, not just being able to get up and stand, not just being able to walk, but being able to leap and to dance, these expressions of joy. 
And people who can't speak, being able again, not just to speak, but to shout and to sing with the sense of joy that wells up. All of these things are coming through the prophecies about Jesus. And so joy is coming through the transformation of those who are hurting to those who are healed. Then Isaiah continues and turns back again to the environment around and talks about the transformation of barrenness to flourishing. He says, Streams of water will flow through the desert. The burning sand will become a lake and dry land will be filled with springs. Where jackals used to live, marsh grass and reeds will grow. And so Isaiah taps into this imagery of the water, which is so vivid for people in Israel. Again, if you live in a country where everything is desert around you, you know how sacred and important water is. And they have storms that happen every now and again. And when the rains come in significant ways, these streams are formed and these big desert plains are suddenly turned into lakes for the first time. Life begins to come. And so Isaiah taps into that imagery for them to be able to say water in the desert is a significant transformation that comes. And throughout scripture, that's something that's used to help us understand what our relationship with God is like. That when we move away from God, we move into these places of barrenness. We move into these places where everything's not the way that it's supposed to be. We start to feel dried up. We start to feel like things just aren't going right. And when we turn back to God, all of a sudden this imagery of streams of water come to us. And so as Jesus arrives on the scene, he talks about the idea of streams of living water that don't come from external sources, but that come from within. That's what he's come to do, is to open the way for us to experience these streams of water that come into our lives. We don't have to rely on stuff around us, but again, this joy can well up from within us as we tap into the water that God has got for us. Joy is coming through the transformation of land that's barren to land that's flourishing. Isaiah then uses another analogy, talking about the transformation from danger to safety. In verse 8, he says, There will be a highway there called the road of holiness, and no sinner will ever travel that road. No fools will mislead those who follow it. No lions will be there. No fierce animals will pass that way. Those whom the Lord has rescued will travel home by that road. So again, we put ourselves into the shoes of the Israelites, and especially at this time, there weren't a whole lot of roads around the place, partly because they're in the middle of the desert, but also there are lots of hills around. And so there's lots of these winding paths that go all the way through Israel. And because they're up in the hills, a lot of them, they're really unsafe places because people and wild animals can hide really, really easily. And so if you're walking through these desert desert paths, you have to be really, really careful because there's all this danger all around you. So Isaiah says, imagine what it would be like to just have a straight road in front of you that's been cleared, where there's no danger. You can see that everything is safe and everything's okay. Imagine what it would be like to be able to have that in front of you. It would be amazing. Now, he does say that this road we call the road of holiness and that no sinner will ever be able to travel on it. And so this is where we have to be careful because we can start to think, oh, so the only way to walk on this road that God's going to bring is for us to be perfect. 
well, I know I'm not perfect, so does that mean I can't walk on that road? Like, what's the deal here? And this is a reminder that Jesus is the one who's going to come and to make that road, that straight road for us. And to say, it's not about us getting ourselves together enough. It's about Jesus having done everything necessary for us to be able to walk this road of holiness. That that's now how God sees us because of the work of Jesus. It's not about us being perfect and then God's going to somehow build this road in front of us or open this secret gate. It's about us trusting in who Jesus is and walking on these straight roads that are mapped out in front of us. Isaiah says, Joy is coming through the transformation of dangerous roads to safe passages. And then he finishes up with this beautiful picture of what it looks like to come home. In verse 10 he says, They will reach Jerusalem with gladness, singing and shouting for joy. They'll be happy forever, forever free from sorrow and grief. And for the Israelites, Jerusalem or Zion, so Zion is the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. So oftentimes through scripture we'll hear those used interchangeably. Zion or Jerusalem was seen as this place where God was, the place where God lived. And so for the Israelites, especially in the times when they had walked away from God, and even more than that in the times when they were in exile, Jerusalem had this huge impact on them. This idea of being able to return home to be able to be where God is, to be able to be where God's the one who is the king, to be able to be in the place where God's way of life is experienced all the time. And so Isaiah taps into this imagery of this prophecy that when Jesus comes, people are going to be able to come home. And to really tap into what that feels like, imagine what it's like when you're away. And so if you've been overseas and spent some time overseas, you know what it's like where you go somewhere else and you have that sense where it's a great adventure for a while, but eventually get to the point where you just want to eat the food that you know what the food is and you know exactly where it is. You just want to have your money and know what coins I'm supposed to use. And especially if you go to a country where they speak a different language, you just want to see signs that are in English so you know where you're supposed to go. This sense of familiarity that you so desperately crave. And even if you just go on a road trip, the reality is we go and then we've got to have maps out and we're worried I've got to make sure I don't turn off the wrong way because I'm going to get really, really lost. When we make that decision to say, I'm going home, there's a sense of joy that wells up within us. And that moment where, as you fly into Adelaide Airport and you see the city and all the familiar streets and you start to say, yes, I'm nearly home. That moment when you get into the taxi or someone picks you up and drives you back and you get back near the streets, near your house, and you know that you're nearly there. Or if you've been on a road trip and you come back and you can turn the GPS off and you can turn the maps off because I know what these roads are and I know where I need to go. And then you turn down the road just before your street and then you turn onto your street and then you turn into your driveway. There's this sense of I'm home. I'm where I'm supposed to be. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. That's the desperate desire that the Israelites had of being able to have all of those experiences, to get closer and closer to Jerusalem, to be able to say, finally, I'm home. I'm where I'm supposed to be. The beautiful thing is that we know because Jesus comes, it's no longer about a physical destination that we seek for home. Jesus comes as the king who sets up his kingdom that isn't about geographic boundaries. 
It's all of us everywhere being able to experience his way of life. All of us every day being able to say, I'm home. I've been accepted. I get to experience life the way that it's supposed to be. So Isaiah talks about all of this amazing transformation that's prophesied about Jesus coming. Deserts coming alive. The weak becoming strong. Water flowing. Straight roads being opened up. Being able to return home. All of this transformation is coming with the arrival of this king who's going to set up a new kingdom. He's going to set up a new way of life. And as we tap into all of the experiences that we're going to have in this new kingdom, this sense of joy starts to rise up within us. So as we begin to wrap up today, what does all this mean for us? This is all interesting and fascinating for sure, but so what? What does this actually mean for us as we head into this week? And specifically, the question that I want us to reflect on is this. How can we allow God to fill us with joy this week based on what we've been talking about today? We tap into some of the imagery that Isaiah's got here. Maybe for some of us as we sit here today, we're feeling like we are lost in the desert. We're feeling like we're really dry. We're feeling like we're in a place of barrenness, a place where we're really, really struggling. Isaiah says, because of Jesus, life is available to us. Streams of living water are available to flow into our lives in those places where we're feeling dry and barren. Perhaps some of us are feeling weak or struggling feeling broken, feeling like things just aren't working the way that they're supposed to work. Isaiah reminds us that Jesus comes to bring healing into our lives, to bring healing into those broken places for us, to bring strength even in the midst of our weaknesses. And maybe for some of us, we're just feeling lost as we sit here today. We're just longing for a sense of home, wishing that we could find that place where we can just say, yes, This is the place where I'm supposed to be. Well, Isaiah tells us that Jesus comes to open up a straight line for us, a clear road, a clear passage for us to be able to come home to God, to recognize that God is standing at the end of that road with his arms open wide, ready to give us a big hug and to say, welcome home, take your shoes off, you're where you're supposed to be. The challenge is, All of us know that while those things are true, it's not our everyday experience yet. It's this weird reality that Jesus has come and fulfilled everything that's necessary for us to experience that, and yet we still live in a broken world where selfishness and pride often gets in the way of us experiencing what God has got for us. And so not only do we say, yes, those things are available in some form to us now, but all of us know that a time is coming in the future where we will get to experience these transformations 100% of the time, where there will be no more barrenness, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more brokenness, where there will be no more lostness. That is coming. And so the challenge for us as we head into this week is to say, how do I allow God's joy to fill me up in the midst of this now and not yet? Even though I know that transformation is available, I'm not experiencing it, so how do I hold on to the sense of joy that God wants me to be able to have? We're talking about this idea of being fulfilled, filled to the fullest. 
So how can we allow God's joy to fill us up? A couple of suggestions for us as we finish. For some of us, it is about those external things. We've talked about the impact that the environment can have on our sense of joy. So for some of us this week, it may be about making some choices to say, I'm going to put myself in a place where I can experience a greater sense of God's joy. Maybe I need to take a trip down to the beach and to just sit and allow the waves to roll in and experience a sense of joy. Maybe I need to go and sit in a park for a little while and have that sense of peace that comes from being somewhere that I love. Maybe it's being out in the garden and being able to enjoy just being out in God's creation. Maybe it's not about the physical environment, but it's about the people environment. Being able to say, this week I'm going to make a time to go and spend some time with someone who I know brings that sense of joy into my life. To just catch up and have a coffee or have lunch together, be able to spend some time together and just experience a sense of joy, even if it's just for a moment. What can I do to allow my external environment to allow God to fill me with a greater sense of joy? And for others of us, it may be more of an internal thing, tapping into these streams of living water that Jesus talks about. It could be about taking some time this week to read some scripture that we know inspires us, rereading through this passage and being able to say, this is what God is passionate about, this is what God's all about. Or your favourite scriptures, being able to just spend some time in that and to allow that to bring a sense of joy. For some of us, it may simply be about spending some time with Jesus, just shutting off all the noise, stopping all the activity and just being. Being able to take some time at the start of our day or at the end of our day to just be with Jesus, to recognise that we're loved and accepted 100% as we are and to allow that to give us a greater sense of joy, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our brokenness. This joy is available to us. Isaiah prophesies about all this transformation that is going to come through Jesus and is ultimately going to come at the end of time. And so I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can experience some glimpses of that transformation in our lives, but regardless that we can experience a greater sense of joy of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for how extraordinary you are. All of these prophecies that we've looked at over the last few weeks and we've got more to continue to unpack, it's extraordinary that you as one person can come and fulfill all of these things. But even more than that, it's not just about you ticking some boxes off. It's about what all of that means when we package it together to recognise that you are the saviour, you are the rescuer who comes to us who enters into our world so that you can understand fully what life is like for us. And it's absolutely remarkable that we know that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our brokenness, you know what it's like to live life here on earth and to work through all of those things. But we also know that we can tap into this sense of joy that everything is under control because it's not just about your life, It's not just about your death, but it's about your resurrection, that now you sit as the raised, risen king over the universe. And so we can trust that a time is going to come when we will experience your full transformation and your full restoration. And so I pray that as we head into this week, regardless of where we're at in our journeys, for each of us we're in different places, 
but I pray that we would be able to understand what it is that your Holy Spirit has for us, that we can experience, even just for a moment, a sense of transformation that comes through these different things that Isaiah talks about, but even more than that, an ability to pull back and to recognise that you're at work, that things don't take you by surprise, that you don't give up on us, that you haven't turned your back on us. You're with us, even in the midst of our difficulties. And that can bring a sense of joy and peace and hope and love into our experience this week. In your name we pray. Amen.